the light of the world. How many of you have ever been in a really, really dark room, place, even away from the stars and the moon where it was pitch black and you literally could not see the hand in front of your face? You've been in that situation before? Isn't it? I know we take it for granted, but isn't it amazing how that simply by lighting a candle or putting on a flashlight or turning on your smartphone, which you're not going to use for 24 hours in the next month, uh, turning on your flashlight on your smartphone, all of a sudden what happens? The moment that you strike that match, what happens? It's like all of a sudden it's like, it's almost like a relief, a sense of relief comes and The darkness is dispelled by even the smallest amount of light. That is the nature of light. And this morning, I'm going to share with you about this important subject. It's important that we take the words of Jesus as a good launching point. So let's look at them together. Found in Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. Jesus is speaking to you. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine. Everybody say shine. Before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus compares our witness in the world to letting our light shine. Now, light itself is complicated from a scientific standpoint, but let me just give you a formal definition. Light is a form of energy traveling from one place to another. It is literally moving energy. But isn't it Intriguing and fascinating that Jesus himself would choose light as a subject that all of us should be familiar with. I'm going to walk you through the Bible, Old Testament, the Gospels, New Testament, and even into the future. And I want you to look at the subject of the light of the world with me in a fresh way today, would you? First of all, light in the Old Testament. Who can come up with the first place where we know uh, there's a record of light. Well, of course, it's in the book of Genesis, isn't it? Genesis 1-3, can we all say it together? Let there be light. Those were the creative words of God himself as he created light. Out of nothingness, he created light. And light came. That is what we notice specifically at creation. But there's another place in the Old Testament, uh, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, that we begin to notice this issue and subject of light coming up. Many of you are familiar with what the tabernacle and the temple were in the Old Testament. The tabernacle in the Old Testament was simply a tent that God instructed Moses how to construct it, what to put inside of it, how to build it, how to separate it into certain compartments. And there was the outer court, there was the inner court or the holy place, and then there was the inner inner place, the holy of holies, where that's where the actual covenant, uh, the tabernacle and the ark of the covenant dwelled in the very center of that tabernacle or tent 
And it was designed to travel from place to place. What I want you just to be aware of is in the tabernacle, and we won't take all the time to go back and read all these scriptures, but I'll just pick one to read to you from Leviticus 9, 24. It says, fire came out from the presence of the Lord. When it says from the presence of the Lord, it's speaking of the Holy of Holies, that innermost sanctum. So out of that place that was actually separated from the rest of the tent by a veil, a curtain that went from top to bottom, it was there. It says a fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions of the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and they fell face down. Did you know that inside the inner part, the holy place of that tabernacle, the inner court, there were a number of things that were there. You had the altar of incense. We're not trying to do a study on the tabernacle today, all right? So just, I'm not going to digress. But there was an altar of incense. There was the table of showbread. Uh, there were a number of other things that were there. But what I want you to focus on today is there was a golden lampstand. Some people refer to that, particularly the Jewish faith, as a menorah. Notice that there are seven lights on that. Now, Jewish tradition actually tells us there's great arguments about how large the original uh, lampstand was. Jewish tradition and historians tell us it was likely over five foot tall. Can you imagine? Wow. And the thing that I want you to notice, and by the way, that's a, that's a relief there on the second uh, on the other slide, you really can't see it too well, but you may be able to see uh, the candlestick uh, in, in the background there. That is a picture of, um, actually it's on a wall in Rome on the arch, if some of you have been there, on the arch of Titus in the city of Rome as they're depicting when the Jews came into Rome and they brought with them the uh, a menorah or the golden lampstand. What I want you to focus on is how that lampstand, which was designed to provide light in that room. It provided light for the priest because they were the ones that went into that room and they did their priestly duties. They had all kinds of things. They had to keep the altar, the incense burning. They had to do all kinds of duties in there. So it was, had a very practical function. But I want to point out to you, because all of this was by God's prescription, every little detail Every precise part of the tabernacle was built according to God's direction. Do you know how, might seem like an an understandable question, how did the original lampstand, when it was first built, how did it get lit? See, at the top of each, those are actually supposed to be almond branches and almond pods, if you will, or blooms at the top. And each of those pods or blooms held oil, olive oil, which was the fuel for the light. The question is, who lit the match? Who actually brought fire to the original lampstand in the tabernacle? Have you ever thought about it? You know, we don't think about things like that. We walk in a room, we flip on the light switch, and ta-da, there's light. Did you know that God himself lit this candlestick? It was out of God's presence. He simply zapped it. All of a sudden, there's light that appears on the golden lampstand. Listen, that story is much greater 
than any of the Star Wars movies that you might see. All right? All right, I promise you. This is just like incredible stuff. So um, these uh, were divinely lit. And they were kept lit through the act of the priest. So part of their duties, we'll get back to this in a little bit, part of their duties were twofold as it related to the lampstand. On a daily basis, they were to trim the lampstand to make sure that if there was, if there was extra, if there was extra uh, wax burning or something, that they would make sure that it was all cleaned up. And they would also take clean, fresh, pressed, recently pressed olive oil, and they would refill each of the little blossoms where the light was. That was their normal daily duty. Notice that they simply refueled it. They didn't start the light. They didn't light it, but they kept it going by the process of refueling it. All right? So that's the story in the Old Testament. I think we could begin to see maybe there's some significance to this idea of light. I, did, I just wanted to show you maybe not the best photograph, but someone's depiction of what was going on in the inner court. They're really not showing the veil very well between that and the inner place there where you see the, uh, you see the uh, Ark of the Covenant back there. But uh, this would be common for the priest. That's actually the high priest there. And you see the golden lampstand burning brightly in the tabernacle. All right. So now let's talk a shift to the New Testament. What do we know about the light, light, the subject, and what significance does light have in the New Testament? Well, I think we have to begin with Jesus, shouldn't we? Sure. John chapter 1. Listen, let me just offer you a couple of scriptural references. In John chapter 1, verse 4 says, In him, speaking of Jesus, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Think about that. In him was life, and that life was the light for all humanity. That's something to meditate on, isn't it? goes on in verse 9 to say, the true light, the true light suggests that there's also artificials, all right? The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. When Jesus came into the world, he was bringing real, true light. Light for people's dark lives. Light for a dark and a corrupt world. John chapter 8 and verse 12. You should remember this one. This one's really important. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Most of you know this, but the gospel of John is filled. You could do a whole teaching on the gospel of John just by focusing on Jesus's I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection, right? And go on, you study it on your own. But this one is one of those I am statements where he says, I am the light of the world. Unapologetically, Jesus making a clear statement that he came to bring light to a dark world. You say, well, what happened to the original light? Well, sin has a great impact on true light. Sin will actually snuff out light. Jesus came to bring light back to mankind. And this scripture demonstrates it. 
I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. That's a pretty good promise, isn't it? You'll never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, I think that's very interesting, by the way, that there in that particular verse, he says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. You might immediately ask the question, what happens when he's no longer in the world? Just hold that question, all right? What happens to the world? When Jesus is no longer in the world, what do we do then? And we're going to get to that. All right, so here we see Jesus being presented as what? The light of the world. Now let's shift. You can see we're moving progressively historically, right? All the way from creation. Now we've gone through the life of Jesus. He is the light of the world. Now how does the concept of light relate to you and me who have made Jesus our Savior and our Lord? Let me offer to you some scriptures that will guide us. There's numerous scriptures about this, but I've just provided a few. In Colossians chapter 1, it declares to us that you and I as Christians have been delivered from darkness. Someone say hallelujah. Delivered from darkness. Taken out of one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. Who rules over the kingdom of darkness? Satan. And transferred... Moved out, relocated out of that kingdom. A kingdom has to do with jurisdiction. Every kingdom has to have a king. Out of the kingdom of darkness, Satan is the king of that. And moved where? Into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, where he rules and reigns as king. How many of you are glad you're in the new kingdom? And if you're not, you can this morning. I promise you there is a way for you to choose that. But it goes on, and there's other scriptures that we should highlight. For example, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Listen very carefully to these. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That, what does that suggest to you? It's a purpose word, right? Tells us who we are, all these descriptors, so that... It's a purpose phrase, right? So that we might do what? So that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's our purpose. A lot of people want to ask the big questions in life, the big philosophical questions. Why am I here? I'll tell you why you're here. It's God's purpose that first of all, that you have light come into you through Jesus Christ. And from that point on, you are to show forth light in this dark world. I hope no one would argue with me that we live in a dark world. But you and I are to bring light. Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. For you were once darkness. I like this one because Paul is so blunt. He doesn't say you used to live in darkness. He said you once just, you just were darkness. I mean, he doesn't even shy away from just saying, man, you, were, you weren't just dark. You were darkness. That's, the, that's who you were. How you can relate to that? Some of you need to be in touch with your past a little bit. All of us once were darkness. All right? And listen to what Paul says. Once you were darkness, but now... See the contrast? But now you are light in the Lord. We can't be light in and of ourselves. 
We have to have, we're in, in, we are light, but we are light because what? We're in Christ. Because we're in Christ, we are now the light in the Lord. And he goes on to say this. <clears throat> Live. Practical. Live as children of light. Think about that phrase. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Darkness that controls the kingdom of darkness, that controls many people in this world. There's, when, when you're living in darkness and there's darkness on the inside, you're going to do dark things. It's simply a part of being dark. But when Jesus, the light of the world, comes and takes over on the inside, what does that mean? Now it affects our behavior. Now, as children of the light, we are to live differently. We are to behave differently. We're to speak differently. Children of darkness speak a certain way. Children of light don't speak that way. We don't act that way. We don't respond and behave that way. There's a certain way that children of light should act. And part of our role is to expose darkness. Philippians 2. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then, then you will, I like this, shine then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Once again, picture the dark, totally dark place. All it takes is what? Just one little light. And the more light, the better. And he is saying that you and I, that our place and our role is to shine in the midst of this dark world and we're to be like, literally like stars in the sky and we're to bring our light with us and to shine. Everybody say shine. All right, now, lots of scriptures we could share, but I think that gives you the idea of what the role of believers as Christians is having to do with light. And I'll wrap it up by speaking to the church's role. Isn't it interesting that the church is also spoken of as light? Let me explain. Revelation chapter 1. I'm not going to read the chapters, but we, uh, most of us know that in Revelation chapter 1 and then following in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we have John uh, on an island and he's having visions. Okay? And uh, he's writing it down. Chapters 2 and 3 are filled with messages from Jesus to churches. Seven specific churches received a personal message. You remember those? Laodicea, Sardis, Philadelphia, all those. There are seven of them. Ephesus, so on, so on. Before the message was written to each individual church, Paul, I'm sorry, John has this vision and he sees, just, we won't go back and read it, just, I'm just summarizing, right? He sees Jesus walking around with seven stars in one hand, and he's walking around in the midst of seven lampstands. 
golden lampstands. Some have suggested that that may not be, there are seven lamps on the golden lampstand, but some have suggested this is speaking of one particular lampstand, a golden single lampstand. So it says Jesus is walking around these seven golden lampstands. The lampstands, the Bible in Revelation is very clear what they are. The lamps are the seven churches. So out of all the imagery that the Holy Spirit could use, he shows the revelator John churches that he is to that he's going to take a message from Jesus to those churches. But he wanted him to see the fact that they were golden. How many of you know not all churches act golden? Golden would suggest purity, value. Sometimes I, I, I think, you know, you know it's, it's, we won't even go there. It, it's just not golden. But in the mind of Jesus, you are golden. Isn't that good to know? He considers... He considers Riverbend Church golden. He considers Nansman River Baptist golden. He considers whatever church you want to name, he considers it to be golden. That just speaks highly to me of his view of the church. And I like the fact it describes Jesus as walking in the midst of the lampstands. He is walking even here this morning. Inspecting, just making sure everything's happening the way that it should. The lampstand designed to have light, fuel, and to constantly burn is the picture he chooses for the church. Churches are supposed to burn bright. God's people collectively are supposed to not be dark, but we're supposed to let our light shine. And collectively, the more the more candles, the more flashlights you put, a, put on a room, what? The more light, right? So collectively, if we could all get our lights up on its greatest intensity, how many of you think we could really make a difference? You agree? That's the picture that Jesus offers in Revelation. Let's just make sure we have this all straight, and then I'm going to offer you some warnings, practical stuff. God said, let there be light. He's the author of light. In the Old Testament, we saw that light was important enough that he placed a golden lampstand in the tabernacle, later to be moved to the temple, that represented the light to the world. And they required oil, fuel, and they, had, they were lit supernaturally. And then Jesus comes into the world, and what does he say? I am now the light of the world. You can just put the lampstands aside, I have now come as the fulfillment of all that. You don't even need that anymore. I've come to be the light of the world. I've come to light up the world, and I've come to light you up. I've come to put light in man, dark man. And once I do, now some switch is turned on on the inside of us. And now he tells us all through the letters of the New Testament, be light, act like light. Penetrate darkness, expose darkness, illuminate the world. And he explains to us what our purpose is as children of the light. 
Now, I won't go through these scriptures, but they basically emphasize the fact that light is designed to bring, uh, to expose darkness and also to illuminate. I want to offer to you here, got 10 minutes left. I'm going to give to you four warnings about light. Our light and us being responsible light bearers. Are you ready for this? All right, let me give them to you. Number one, number one, don't hide. I'm sorry, number one, don't create your own light. Now, we as Christians, we do this all the time. I want to remind you of a story in the Old Testament, and I know the photograph isn't very good and very clear, but it's an old wood graving of the sin of Nadab and Abihu in the Old Testament. You may not remember the story, but they basically took their, in, took their offering and they lit the offering themselves. And they went into the holy place to offer their sacrifices. Not good. Not good at all. They went in there and the Bible actually called it unholy fire. One translation says it's called strange fire. The NIV calls it unauthorized fire. You know what that fire is? You say, that sounds pretty awful. What kind of fire is that? That's the fire when people try to light it themselves. From the very beginning, everybody understood, all the priests understood, look, the only light that's allowed in here is what God supernaturally does, what he does. He lights it. He lights it. But Nadab and Abihu, they got a little presumptuous, got a little cocky, wanted to be something, and they decided, we'll do it ourselves. And they brought their little censers in there, and they lit it themselves, and next thing you know what? The fire of God consumed them, wiped out. I guess my point is, it's not good to light your own fire. It's not good. God has placed on the inside of us fire. The oil of the Holy Spirit. And he has lit you through regeneration, through redemption, at salvation. He lit your fire. And our responsibility is just to make sure it shines bright. But don't go around the world trying to light your own fire and create your own light. Let the light of Jesus shine bright. Fourth, first warning, don't create your own light. Number two, don't hide it. Clear warning in Scripture, don't try to hide your light. Why? Because light has a purpose. It intends to be a blessing to people. And it is not to be obscured in any way at all. It should be visible to everyone. And some people hide their light in a variety of ways. In the Sermon on the Mount, it simply says, don't put it under, that we read in Matthew 5, don't put it under a bowl. Instead, what? Put it up on a hill. Put it up, make it obvious. And put it out there where everybody can see it. Listen, when it comes to this, you have to ask yourself the question, why do people hide their light? And there's a lot of light hiding going on. Some people are ashamed. Can you imagine? Some people hide it because of fears. Some people decide to hide it inside the church and never take it out. 
Charles Swindoll used to talk about people with their flashlights. All of us like having our flashlights inside. And we're really well trained. 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, we come to church. We turn our flashlights on. We admire one another's flashlights. We even have small groups where we shine them at each other. But the purpose of the flashlight is what? In the darkness. So we have to understand. We, it needs to be visible to all. We need to understand our responsibility to make sure that light shines. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. I don't want to hide myself. Carrie and I had the pleasure a number of years ago on an anniversary trip. We took a trip, a cruise up New England cruise. It was just amazingly beautiful in September. And the final point was Nova Scotia. All the way up to Nova Scotia. And there's a small little fishing village, some of you may have heard of it, called Peggy's Cove in Nova Scotia quaint little village and while we were there we were told the story that many years ago that there was a really 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 bad storm and they had a lighthouse a prominently positioned lighthouse at on the shore there of peggy's cove peggy's cove was a fishing village is a fishing village and all the 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 boats the fishing boats would always go out and everyone almost everybody in little village everybody was a part of the fishing village so the men would go out they'd fish but this particular night a terrible storm blew in. And something happened to the lighthouse to where there was no light coming out of the lighthouse. That was the only safe way to get back to harbor was to see the light from the lighthouse and to follow it for those boat fishing boats to follow it back on the, if you can imagine, the rocky shores of Nova Scotia. It was dangerous. The community got together and they were all, of course, very fearful for the, what was going to happen to their husbands, fathers. And they, someone came up with the idea, let's make our own light. And so they began to light, light lanterns and torches. They all gathered together on the shore, standing, shining their lights together, praying, hoping that somehow the boat would be able to see that message from its despairing condition in the storm. And sure enough, it worked. Even without a functioning lighthouse, the fishing boats made their way back into shore and everyone was safe. I thought when I heard that story, I thought, isn't that really what we're called to do? We're called to join our light together. Not hide it, but to put it out where it can bring other people to safety and to salvation. Amen? Number three. Don't dim your light. Don't dim your light. There's a lot of different ways that we can dim it. Do you know what I mean by dimming it? I I, I mean, when Jesus turns on the light in your life, our Christian development and journey and growth as disciples of Jesus ought to mean increasing the intensity of the light. I don't believe that the light, I believe the light in and of itself is what it is, but I think the degree to which the light shines is up to you and me. Because there's a lot of things in our lives that dim the intensity of the light. 
It can be the way that we live. It can be our lack of communion. It can be all kinds of things. We simply walk in the flesh and get, you know, the light's still in you. Jesus said, you're children of light. So the light's still in there, still burning, but no one else may be seeing it because it's not intense enough. It's not bright enough. So what I want you to do is be mindful. Don't dim your lights. Crank it up. Let it shine bright. Sometimes our lifestyle dims it. Sometimes we don't walk in the spirit. Sometimes we have a failure. We don't live as supernaturally as God wants us to. We don't take advantage of the fullness of of what he has for us and walking and moving in the power of the spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and all the available resources he gives to us. We simply walk around with our lights at their lowest brightness. Don't dim your lights. Finally, number four. Don't forget to check the oil. I think we all know in our vehicles what happens when you forget to check the oil. Lights come on. Buzzers start beeping. Great danger can come. Do you know as Christians, sometimes we forget to check the oil? You see, because even in the Old Testament, those lamps had to be refueled. In fact, it was a daily directive From God to the priest. Every day. Take fresh pressed olive oil. Take it in there. And make sure that you refill. Every one of those almond pods. What do you think that might suggest. For you and me. Oil throughout scripture is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And we know. That when we're born again. The spirit of God comes to indwell within us. But frankly, in the dark culture that we live in, just being saved isn't enough. We've got to be controlled, turning up that light intensity. And so one of the things you must do is make sure that you fulfill your New Testament priestly role. Fill yourselves up with the Holy Spirit oil every day. Check your oil. So I forgot to check my oil today. It's all right. Do it. Do it now. Check it. Refill it. Refuel it. The light, only Jesus could bring light into your life. But you and I have the responsibility to keep our lamps burning bright because we determine whether or not we've been refueling it or not. And by the way, he is just sitting on ready. All you have to do is say, Jesus, refill me. Jesus, come once again. Refill me. The early church, even just a chapter or two after the day of Pentecost came and they had been filled dramatically on their initial filling. Only only a couple of chapters later, it says the church got together to pray. And it says, and they were filled once again with the Holy Spirit. Same people that were over there in Acts chapter 2. Listen, it's not enough just to have some experience 28 years ago and tell me a testimony about it. You need to live every day filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? So your light can shine bright. The world needs it. God deserves it. It is our role. It is our responsibility. I won't go into it because time is out, but there's quite a significant warning in Matthew chapter 25 story of the foolish and the wise virgins. Some who remembered to fill their lamps with oil and some who didn't. May I close with this just a final exhortation. 
I asked myself the question as I was preparing for this, how, how, how do we let it shine? Because it's one thing to say, oh yeah, I need to let it shine, I need to let it shine. How do we do that? And I just made a list of five things. I won't go into them, i just let you think about them. Number one, start thinking eternally. In other words, think from an eternal perspective. Our problem is many times we think very temporally. We think about what's happening this week, this year. Think eternally. Think about people's lives from an eternal standpoint. Say, how is that person going to live eternally? What do I want to do that counts eternally? Listen, the slide, the size of your flat screen will not affect eternity. Number two, pray globally. Let your light shine as far out as you can. Pray over nations of the world. Pray for the Boutons and Morgan as they leave to represent us on the mission field. Pray globally. Find a missionary. Find an unreached people group. Find nations and pray regularly for the world. Number three, connect personally. Stop impersonalizing your witness. Start building relationships and connect with people. God so loved the world that he died for people. He loves us, individuals. Connect and relate to people who have a measure of darkness. Number four, sin strategically. We're, we're doing that. We'll do more. And I, I've said it before, but it's a quote that I'll always remember from John Osteen. He once said, the light that shines the farthest will shine the brightest at home. The light that shines the farthest will shine the brightest at home. Send people to do God's work strategically. And finally, give sacrificially. Giving is a way that you can send light, expand the light of the gospel around the world in our community to make a difference in the lives of of people. You, listen, you, if you're a Christian, you are the light representing Jesus. The light is on the inside of you. Let it burn. Don't hide it. Don't dim it. Keep it fueled and increase the intensity day by day. Would you stand with me and pray? One word to those of you who may be here as our prayer teams come forward. Some of you may be here and say, I, 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 I don't even know if the switch has ever been turned on. I may still be living in total darkness. I mean, wonder what's going on with my life. No wonder. It's totally dark. My life is dark. Then let Jesus, the light of the world, take over your life. It's a simple step of faith. You can do it this morning. We have prayer teams that are available uh, up here in the front. Lord, do you mind joining uh, or Karen joining Jezro to help him pray today? And the Ognabennies are here on this side. They're trained. They know how to pray. They'll believe God with you. You may have a personal need, whether it's healing for your body, whether it's a family need or a relationship or a job, whatever. Allow someone to agree with you in prayer if you need that today. But if you are dark, 
let the light of the world come in on the inside. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something. Crystal's going to come and leave. They weren't even prepared for this, but they know how I am. Um, I want you to take on that childlikeness that Jesus talks about. He doesn't say to be childish. He says to be childlike. And some of you are like, you're way too, you know, you got it together way too much to do this. You may go ahead and be dismissed if you'd like. But Crystal's going to lead you in a little song. This little light of mine. I want you to sing it, not because it's funny. I want you to sing it because that's what you're going to do as we leave here today. Amen.